we have said so many times, if we'd only known, if we'd only known, if we'd only known, then countless lives could have been saved. Do you really think ageism played a role in the death of your mother and in the death of all these other folks? I do. I, I really do believe that. I believe, I mean, here had it been 20 college people, younger folks, it would have been all over the news. But because these were elderly people, the, the, the police departments didn't really follow through. I think they, they took a few things at granted. The, the press basically hasn't been as interested. And, for, and, and it amazes me, even here in Dallas, the number of people that I run into, that I work with, that I know, who have never even heard this story, have no idea. So yeah, I think ageism is a big problem and a big part of it on many fronts. They were in the unique position of knowing all of these deaths and reported thefts when law enforcement didn't and you know profit and greed or a dangerous thing and instead of you know disclosing what they knew to the families of the victims and law enforcement which would lead them to believe okay we have a big problem they steered the investigation <laughs> into something else welcome back to the perfect scam i'm your host bob sullivan and this is the conclusion of our four-part series, Fatal Ageism. When we left our story, Billy Shamirmir had been formally accused of 22 murders, mostly in senior living facilities. But the first attempt to convict him for one of the murders ends in a shocking hung jury. It takes months for the retrial to begin. During that time, the horror for the families really starts to set in. That year was, uh, first of all, all I could do is sit there and say, I'm sorry to my mom. I have a picture in my game room and she sits there and watches whatever I watch. And I bet I screamed, I'm so sorry for a year to my mom's picture because mm -hmm. it was my job to take care of her. And uh, I felt responsible. Trey Crawford is a lawyer representing the families. You're forced to relive that. And I can tell you from most of their perspectives, there's not a day that goes by they don't think about it. And wondering, it's just, you know, your loved one's last memory on earth is living a horrific death. Finally, five months later, in April 2022, the families all head back to court as Dallas County tries again to convict Billy Shamirmir for the murder of Lou T. Harris found dead in her home back in March 2018. Your video played in court today showed Shamir Mir in a Walmart at the same time as 81-year-old Lou Harris on the day of her murder. And hours after, police say he had Harris's house keys and jewelry. Fox 4's Alex Boyer has more from the courthouse live. Alex. Hi, guys, that's right. And today, of course, the prosecution focused a lot of its attention on that surveillance video because it does just that. It points the two of them in the same location at the same time the day of the murder. Now, what's interesting is this time around, it appears that the prosecution is not going to show uh, the jury Shamir Mir's taped interview with police. Watching the trial again, all the evidence presented again, it's just so much for the victims to take. For Ellen French House, it's been a long road. Remember, her mom died, was murdered, in October 2016. It's been nearly six years, but with each new event, the morning restarts. It just seems like it was yesterday for all of us. It's 
very strange. So the clock restarts every time something happens, right? Mm-hmm. The clock restarts and you got to start going down that path again. While Shamir is on trial for the murder of Luti Harris, prosecutors introduce evidence from other violent attacks. The families once again listen to Mary Bartell, who survived a murder attempt, describe what it was like when Billy Shamirmir covered her face with a pillow. Mary is the star witness, even though she died three years after the attack, back in 2020, before the trial. She comes to life for the jurors through her recorded deposition. Uh, for Martel, is that a close-up of your face? Yes, it shows how my nose was all smashed and how uh, on my right cheek, um, you know, the uh, effects of having all that pressure on there. The prosecution lays out its case, reminding the jury about the attack. Mary Bartell was revived after she passed out and was able to describe Shamir Mir to police. And right at that moment, while she's describing him, he's trying to sell her jewelry. We know for one thing for certain, we know that she got a pillow put over her face. That thing of comfort that you put your head on and rest and go to sleep and hopefully have some good dreams. Uh-uh. Thank God she had a pacemaker. That's the only reason this man was able to sit down and do a deposition of her and find out what happened. What we know is that while she is at the hospital, while she is being tended to, while her son is uh, uh, sons are there with her, Billy Chamirmir is over posting her ring. And it's not just any old ring. It's the ring that has been on her right hand for 50 years, given to her by her husband. Where's her stuff? Her stuff is where everybody else's stuff is. The things that we treasure, that we spend our money on, that we get as gifts, that are mementos to us, that those are the things that we count on to be a part of ourselves, that we love and respect, that our husbands and wives and relatives that we buy for ourselves, that create our identity, they all somehow kind of wind up right over there. And that's the commonality in these cases. Scott McPhee found his mom, Carolyn McPhee, dead in her home on New Year's Eve 2017. Initially ruled a natural death, police reopened her case after Shamir Mir's arrest and re-examined the evidence, including blood found on her glasses. It took a year, but DNA tests eventually show the blood is Shamir Mir's. Listening to the testimony makes his mom's last moments all the more real for Scott. As hard as it was to live through, you start to realize what she actually went through, but also makes you proud of her because you realize he was bleeding right? So whatever happened, she, she made him pay for it, right? He was bleeding by the time he was done. Um, so I'm proud of her for that. The defense once again argues that the case against Billy Shamirmir is based only on circumstantial evidence, that there's no direct proof he killed Lou T. Harris. But prosecutors say there are overwhelming signs that Shamirmir is guilty. He stalked her at a nearby Walmart. There's video of that. He's sold stolen jewelry. Cell phone location data puts him at the site of the attacks. 
prosecutors rest their case for the second time. Okay, all this stuff is actually not stuff, it's evidence. It's evidence of the guilt of Billy Chamirmir and the death of Lou T. Harris. That's what this is, plain and simple. This is an easy decision, mainly because we bit so much off. You are instructed to go back, to deliberate, and to render a just verdict. And when that verdict is a verdict of guilty, it will be loud, it will be proud, it will be justice, and it will be nothing and no amount of surprise to this man right here. And it will be what he deserves. Please bring back a speedy verdict so that we can put an end to this. Naturally, the families are nervous. Last time, a single juror forced a hung jury, a mistrial. But this time, the jury comes back in just 40 minutes. Has uh, the jury Yeah. And what is the verdict of the jury? Guilty of and then the second time when he was guilty, oh my gosh, you're talking about joy. I mean, it was like we wanted to scream, but we were told we couldn't scream. <laughs> we couldn't scream in the courtroom. And so coming out, I mean, it was just, I probably squeezed the heck out of my husband's fingers when they were doing the verdict. Oh, <laughs> uh, we all, uh, we all shouted with, with, glee you know to that finally justice you know finally that after all those years that there was some some justice out of this and that mainly you know just that he can never hurt anybody again wow that was just almost it was almost a relief and justification in in many ways because you knew the first group got it wrong as hard as they tried right and and hey look and i respect the fact that you know in, in our jury system, this is, you know, you got to stick by what your belief system is. I don't, I don't understand how that first juror, that the juror in the first jury could have come to the conclusion that she did, but it doesn't mean I don't respect it. But coming back in and doing it again and realizing how quickly those 12 people got it right was very satisfying, <laughs> right? Because now it's like, okay, the truth the truth is being seen. Accountability is is where it needs to be. And justice, at least on earth, is being done, right? Shamir Mir is taken to prison. He's sentenced to life without parole. But that's hardly the end of the legal battles around the murders. He is tried again in October 2022 for a second murder, the killing of Mary Brooks, basically to ensure he will serve the rest of his days behind bars. He's convicted a second time, sentenced to a second life term. That conviction means the end of the road for Ellen French House, the end of those sad flights from Indiana to Dallas to sit in a cold courtroom. In some ways, that fills her with mixed feelings. We'd go to the trials, we'd be fine through the trials. It would wipe us out. Emotionally, you come back and like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I had no idea how I was gonna feel when I got home. I got on that airplane, I cried the whole way home because I felt like it was over, but I'm not ready for it to be over, if that makes sense. Sure. It's, o- yeah. it's over for my mom. It was hard to leave Dallas. 
And it's been hard to come into Dallas because I always came to see my mom and she's always there for me. Soon after that second conviction, the other Dallas County murder cases against Shamir Mir are dismissed. It's a standard legal procedure, but one that still stings. It's just so interesting that I, something that would give me peace, which is not going to happen, and this is something that everyone's going to say, is that with our mothers being dismissed, their cases, so I got my mom's dismissal two days ago, I believe, three days ago. The um, Dallas County office sent me the official form. There's a number on there. Her name is not even mentioned. It is a number. It's her case number. And I couldn't help but look at that and go, are you kidding me? She's just a number. That's all she is. An old person with a number that died. And that's just so hard to comprehend that she's not going to have her own trial. I would have loved to see my day, my mom have her day in court so that he could be convicted. But I'm glad we at least got the indictment. Lawyer Trey Crawford explains the frustration that other families feel. The families of these victims continue to suffer. And I, and I guess I'll, you know, to make it specific, I think knowing that for some of them, they're not really going to get the justice they deserve. It's just hard. It's more than emotionally disturbing because there's concern that Shamir Mir killed more victims who will never be uncovered. He'd been stealing for a long time at these homes that he would go into. And I know of several people that did not come forward because they were residents and didn't want to say or come public that their mom was murdered by someone that was hired into their home. But Scott is philosophical about the end of the road, about the dismissal of his mom's case. Maybe I'm too logical about some of these things, but I feel like what he did to all of these women was was a horrible thing, right? And that that what what our justice system has done to the best of its ability is held him accountable for all of those by holding him directly accountable for two of those. And as long as this man spends the rest of his life behind bars without any possibility to get out, I'm comfortable that he won't ever get to do it again. He'll never have the opportunity to do it again. But can Going and getting a conviction for Billy Shamir Mir for my mother's death isn't going to bring her back. It's not going to put him in jail any longer. It's not going to change the outcome. So I'm okay with it. I think the justice system has worked to the best of its ability. It's messy, but I, I'm, I'm comfortable that it's done what it needs to do. Even after the second conviction, there's still one more bit of unfinished legal business. The victim impact statements. Families have a chance to stand in court to look Shamir Mir in the eye and for a few moments describe the impact he had on their lives. Many hold life-size photos of their parents as they speak. MJ Jennings talks directly to Shamir Mir, tries to get him to react. Do you recognize this picture? This is my mom, Leah Corkin. You took her from me and my husband, my brother Matt, my sister Lisa, her grandchildren and great-grandchildren. What you saw when you looked at this woman 
that day was a quick way to make money. You devalued my innocent mom to dollar signs and preyed on her. Talking to Shamirmir was an experience the victims can't stop thinking about, in part because of what didn't happen. He would just look at you. He didn't change the expression. It was like, he didn't hear it. It was like he had some kind of earplugs in. Courtroom images show Shamirmir looking right at the victims as they speak. His eyes were so dark and almost yellow. But when I held up a picture of her deceased, he definitely looked at it. I saw his eyes switch to that. And then I also saw the defense attorney kind of peek around from his computer and look at it. But yeah, every time I looked at him, he was looking at me, but just no expression, no nothing. MJ uses her time not just to unload emotionally on Shamir Mir. She has a plan. She's trying to help the other victims. She still thinks they need to hear from him, from the killer, what really happened. Remember, Shamir Mir still maintains his innocence, and no one really knows how many victims there might be. So she tries to goad him into confessing. You speak as if you are a man of God. If this is true, then you will have to ask for forgiveness for what you have done, and only God can judge you. But I will ask you to confess to me and the other victims' families. Don't be a coward in the eyes of God. Ask for forgiveness and confess to your sins. Whatever relief the victim impact statements may have offered, it's fleeting, the victims all tell me. There's always one more legal document, one more insurance issue, there's ongoing civil litigation, and each one of these things makes them revisit the pain. It's like having a Band-Aid, you know, taken off over and over again. It's just, you couldn't get over it if you could get over it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, but each one of these things you're describing to me is another thing to to, yeah. to get over. So, yeah. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Including this interview, I hope it's as painless as I can make it. But I know, I'm sure going over this story every time is painful, so I'm... I apologize for that. Oh, Bob, it's okay. I, I want to. I really want this story to be out there. It up here in Indianapolis, or when we're in Florida, or when we're in South Carolina. It. No one knows this story, hmm. and you know, I'll be getting my hair done or something, and working on something, and she said, "What do you know?" Well, my mom was murdered. She's like, "What?" No one knows the story. I mean, in Dallas, there's a lot of people that don't know the story. And it can happen anywhere. To a person, every one of these victims told me they're shocked that so many people have never heard of Billy Shamirmir, never heard about the string of elderly murders miscast as unattended deaths from natural causes. And they have lots of opinions about why that is. We've said that if this had been a bunch of people in their 20s or yeah but i we feel like that because it's the elderly oh it's just not the story that that the media has picked up on like we like we thought they would so we're very we're very thankful to you for picking this up and helping get the word out my mom was 85 years young she was walking talking driving drinking cooking shopping totally healthy and sharp as a tack and a lot of these other women were too. And, you know, 
people like to say, oh, nursing home, oh, assisted living. No, these were places that they chose to live because they were nice and they were safe and they wanted to have all the amenities in one place. I'm just going to be honest with you. Nobody cares about elders. It's not a big enough story. And meanwhile, we can only presume that there are families, probably many families, who don't know the truth about why their loved one died. Well, you know, maybe there's there's families who uh, didn't realize the jewelry was missing because they aren't, were, weren't as close with their family member. You know, he disappeared in 2017. You just don't stop murdering. So <laughs> yeah. I know the police know where he went. I mean, I'm many times just screaming at them saying, you guys just stopped. They literally stopped researching. I know mm. that they took detectives off, off the case to quit looking for more victims. They personally, I, I, nobody wants to be known as the host or the biggest serial killer in history for the United States. Dallas doesn't want to be known for that. Um, I know there's, I mean, he might've moved somewhere else in 2017, but he was in Plano in 2012 and 2013. People were taken off the case. I'm so angry with our, our system that's failed us. Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, You can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit americourt.gov slash your moment today. The Billy Shamirmir story, it's about a single man, an evil monster who wrecked dozens, really hundreds of lives. But that's not the whole story. It's also a story of missed opportunities. If only, if only, if only, if only police had been so quick to dismiss reports of theft as old people misplacing items. If only every unattended death were properly investigated. If only these independent living communities had shared more information, had followed up, had connected the dots, had tighter security. If only older people were treated as important. Yes, Billy Shamirmir killed the victims. But ageism was, in some ways, the murder weapon. Billy had worked with older people. He knew how to smother them so their deaths looked natural. But more important, he knew their deaths would likely be overlooked. In the prosecutor's words, he finds someone that if someone finds her dead, they're going to think, well, she was 87. Things like that happen. Let me be completely clear. Most, if not all, of these deaths didn't have to happen. This isn't some Monday morning second-guessing. When a plane crashes, scores of FAA investigators descend on the scene to learn what went wrong, to unearth all the mistakes and make sure they never happen again. Basically, a plane load of healthy, older Americans were murdered by Billy Shamirmir. The investigation into this disaster needs to be complete. It can't happen again. We should listen very closely to the families of these victims to find out what we need to learn from their nightmare. We're seeing now that unattended deaths 
should be investigated, especially if there's anything missing. That's one of the things that we'd like to educate people on too, is just because someone is old and passes away and they're, and it's, it's unattended, that it needs to be checked on, needs to be looked into. Scott wants law enforcement agencies to receive training in elderly issues. I felt like those detectives, in hindsight, right, those detectives were trying to just get done because the reality is they're going, it's an 82-year-old woman. Old women die all the time. They explained it away and, and moved on. And had they had a little more of that intellectual curiosity, maybe gone, why is there blood here? She had a recent clean bill of health from her doctor. Had they just gone one more step and actually done a deeper investigation, other people may have still been alive. It's so frustrating to think that because, frankly, the elderly are often overlooked, it's precisely why this went on for so long. And I, I believe in my heart that the ones that the, the women that we know about that he killed are the tip of the iceberg. Ah, I believe this man made a living killing elderly people and stealing your jewelry at three to $5,000 a pop. And he did it for years. And, and, and if you really talk to the police department, the detectives, they believe it as well. It's just really hard to, ch he was really good at covering it up and no one paid attention. Meanwhile, lawyer Trey Crawford thinks the independent living institutions didn't do enough. There's two sides of this equation. You know, there's the criminal side and, you know, Shamir Mir is going to get what he deserves. He's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. But the, the communities that, you know, open the door and let him in, essentially, uh, that's got to change. And so, you know, that's the part that we're working on is to is to effectuate change in independent living communities. He was originally arrested for trespassing at Edgemere and, you know, he had an alias. He, none of his story made sense. And within a few days of his release, had murdered one of our clients, Joyce Abramowitz, who had had her safe stolen a couple of months prior and it was reported. So you can you can legitimately say that none of this should have happened. Some families have settled civil litigation with the institutions involved. You can read more of the legal details at the companion to this podcast, an excellent story written by Lisa Olson for AARP the magazine. For its part, Tradition Prestonwood didn't respond to AARP's request for comment. It had previously told other media outlets that it had cooperated with police and, quote, relied on the investigation of the Dallas police. The deaths in people's homes and at multiple senior living communities is a true tragedy. Preston Place was sold to new owners after the murders. They did not respond to a request for comment. They previously told the Dallas TV station, quote, it is important to remember that Billy Shamirmir is the person law enforcement agencies believe is responsible for these horrible crimes. Edgemere filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in April 2022, citing $112 million in debt unrelated to the murders. AARP is actively working to make senior living communities more safe and trying to hold more people accountable for Shamirmir's string of murders. Tina Tran is the Texas State Director of AARP. The murderer in this case really exploited a bias that made him, I 
think maybe one of the most prolific serial killers in Texas history. And yet, if you were to mention his name on the street now, no one would know it. Very few people would know it. Do you remember where you were the first time you heard his name? You know, I do. I remember it was actually one of my volunteers brought the the story to my attention. And and what was your first thought? I think my first thought was just terror. It was it was scary. Tran is convinced ageism is at the core of the story. And in this case what we saw were very reports of family members saying that that's how strange that was and how inconsistent that was with the victim's lives, that these certain pieces of valuable jewelry would be missing. And yet still they were written off as, well, you know, older people are forgetful and they may and they misplace things. And yet the people who know them best are saying quite the opposite. It's that writing them off there that just makes you, I mean, we've all had that experience in life, right? You, you know something's wrong and your, your, your doctor or your spouse, somebody ignores you and then, and then later turns out you were right. But, but if, if being ignored like that leads to you know, an ongoing murder spree, I cannot imagine the frustration that must feel like. Yeah, and then to find out later that your fears were confirmed, that your suspicions were right in the first place is really heart-wrenching that something that could have been done and yet it wasn't. The trial highlighted something that probably surprises most listeners. Medical examiners often don't investigate the deaths of older people, even if they die alone. There's just too many deaths to investigate. When someone says they're too busy to actually to do their job, well, that's a huge indicator of a much larger problem. Another structural issue that Tran thinks was exposed by the murder spree. Senior communities, independent living facilities, assisted living communities, don't have a lot of oversight. A lot of these places often do suffer from low staffing, suffer from less regulation. And that is something that we saw a lot of uh, during the pandemic. You know, the, the quality of these um, senior living facilities really did suffer because of the high turnover rates. And it's a hard job. And, and they're also they're pretty big business, right? They are a big business, that's right. Quite pricey for family members and the residents who occupy them, that's right. The ageism identified in this murder spree is dramatic, but it's not unique, Tran believes. It's very frustrating and, you know, honestly, Bob, we see it every day in nursing homes. We see it as as people, older people are, are isolated in their homes. We see it when people when there's a big natural disaster. The people who perish, the people who are are who are left with without a home are older. Like this age bias and is really prolific. We saw it certainly during the pandemic when you know the me- many messages that we heard were, well, you know, the people who are dying are older, as if it were, as if it were just acceptable. What is AARP doing about this kind of systemic ageism? One of the things that I think it's really important for people to know, and, you know, AARP, as the largest advocacy organization in the country, we're charged with looking out for people who are older. And I hear over and over from people, you know, that it can feel a little... um, 
it's almost uh, it's almost funny, right? When people get that that the red card and they don't and they don't want to admit that they're getting older. The fact of the matter is, getting older is a blessing. That you get to live so long that you get to, you know, continue to experience life. And we're charged with looking after people because it is true. As you get older, you become a little bit more vulnerable to certain things like illnesses and disabilities, and so that's why AARP exists. It's just really incumbent upon people, not only for our parents, but for our grandparents, but for ourselves, to be advocates for older people, to to make sure that when we live our lives, that we value people who are older. Because at some point, we'll all, hopefully, if we're lucky, we'll be in that position. And what can families do to protect their loved ones? If you are a resident in one of these facilities, you know, being a self-advocate and an advocate for your neighbors is incredibly important. If you have a family member or a loved one in one of these facilities, you have to try to be their eyes and ears. And honestly, if you're an administrator in these facilities or a law enforcement, it is incumbent upon these people to to do their jobs, to make sure that you know these places are safe that there are good living spaces for their residents and to give voice when these issues occur of making sure that if something is out of place or something doesn't look right or someone doesn't look familiar, ask questions. It's a matter of life and death to not accept the status quo of looking the other way. Leah Corkin, Glenna Day, Norma French, Juanita Purdy, Carolyn McPhee, Phyllis Payne, the woman we've gotten to know through their children in this podcast, they weren't allowed to grow old the way they were supposed to. Their natural lives, who knows, maybe the very best time of their lives, was stolen from them. For the families we talk to, they all have to live with it. But to a person, they all told me they want to make something good, something really important, out of this horrible event. I have to do something. We have to do something to try and improve security in these places because obviously they say they're secure environments. It's a secure, safe place for your loved one. And we believed that. And so, you know, it obviously was not. And I said, we, we have to, we have to make a difference here for future elders to not have the same experience. And that's when we've decided to form our foundation, secure our senior safety. Secure Our Seniors' Safety is a nonprofit founded by families of the victims that is working with state and national agencies to create better oversight of senior communities. Ellen describes beginning the organization with Shannon Gleason, also the daughter of a Shamirmir victim. Things needed to change. Had they cooperated with the police? Had they given flyers to the residents that they had somebody lurking in their building? Had they taken more accountability for doors being propped open with a rock and and rooms, the mechanical room, the cameras kept going out. And I mean, we want rules set in place. We want cameras in the hallways, background checks of people that are in the building, background checks of employees. There's just so many things that can be done that help. The group is lobbying state lawmakers too, working on specific practical legislation that would make seniors safer. They've already had some big wins. 
one proposal that became law this year steps up enforcement on so-called cash-for-gold shops, which should make it harder for criminals to sell stolen jewelry. And then Maryland's law, which is about Marilyn Bixler, whose daughter found out through Facebook Messenger from another victim who saw Marilyn's name on a list at her attorney's office. The cause of death listed on Marilyn Bixler's death certificate had been changed to undetermined, but her family was not notified. Instead, they found out about murder allegations six months later from a stranger on social media. Marilyn's law requires family notification if a death certificate is changed. And more changes are coming. Scott McPhee, whose mom was murdered in her home, wants more regulation for home health care aides. The big one I want to see is more oversight for the in-home health care providers because there is none. Benjamin Koyataba, who went and presented himself, had an expired driver's license, didn't have the right to work in the United States with a 9-9, didn't have his C- CPR certification, was not up to date on his immunization shots, didn't go through any sort of a background check, and was sent into my parents' home. And that's just wrong. And, and, and there needs to be more oversight to ensure that these people that we're putting into people's homes to take care of our parents are, are qualified, are not, you know, don't have criminal background, are who they say they are. There is, there, there needs to be a change in, in how those, those providers are, are governed and managed and, and held accountable because there is, there's little to no oversight there at all. That's, That's one of the big areas that I know the SOSS team will begin looking at here soon to really start working on hopefully not just Texas legislation, but national legislation to to put some regulation in place for these providers. That's the big one. He's also adamant that the dismissive attitude towards unattended deaths involving older people, that must end. We need the police department to follow through on unattended deaths, even for elderly people, and not just assume that because they were old, they just died. That we need to follow the evidence and and follow that evidence to where it leads. And had the police department done that in Plano and probably in other jurisdictions, the the Billy Shamir mirrors of the world wouldn't be able to do what they're doing. And I think Billy would have been caught a lot earlier and saved a lot of lives. Despite the pain, the anguish of their parents' deaths, these families have banded together for our good to help protect our families, our loved ones. Trey says the courage they have shown is remarkable. I'm privileged and infinitely grateful for the ability to gotten to know them and work on their cases and, and it's a serious honor. I do know that what we are doing and what they have done and the courage they've shown and the tenacity and determination they have continued to display as they pursue this cause has been inspiring beyond words. They have effectuated change in ways that we cannot quantify. What do these victims hope people take away from this story? I think the, the people who listen to this story, right? I hope, I hope they, they leave this story first being appalled that someone could do this, right? Second, 
a little bit concerned for the elderly people around you and that the, they will, you know, having heard this story, they will step up and actually ask, how do I, how do I avoid that happening to my parents? And then go do, go do the research to understand. And this is where I think the resources that we need to help provide visibility to need to come into play. How do I do a background check? How do I find a healthcare provider that I have confidence that, that what questions should I be asking them before they send people into my parents' house? These are the things that I think people need to start thinking about and asking themselves. But if we can just use this to sensitize people so they're asking those questions, that's a, that'll make a big step forward in keeping it from happening again. MJ thinks families should ask pretty specific questions before anyone moves in. Uh, 100% I would like to know as I age or if I had put someone else into an independent living to demand to see all the security. Show me the cameras. Show me the person that's going to look at the videotape. Show me the entrances, the exits. What sort of security measures do you have in place? Make sure that you can't erase the tapes and just copy over them. Do your research and don't just be blown away by the luxury living and amenities. Do the security research. The movie theater is one thing, but it's safety that really matters. 100%. All the family struggles still with dreams, nightmares about their mom's last moments on Earth. But that's just a moment. Their full lives, the laughter, the love they made, those live on. That is their real legacy. Ellen, Scott, Lauren, MJ, Cheryl, Diana. I can't thank them enough for sharing their story with us, for helping us know who their moms were and still are. We wish them whatever peace they can find. We wish that for all the victim families, especially those we might not yet know about. And we wish for change, change in the way we look at our treasured elders. And we wish that the Billy Shamirmir story can finally come to a real conclusion, but that's probably up to him. Where do you think this ends? I think this ends with Shmirmir spending the rest of his life in prison. I would not be surprised if at some point he confesses to many of these murders. But I think on the civil side, you know, we have already made a tremendous amount of progress in effectuating change through holding the communities accountable. If you have been targeted by a scam or fraud, you are not alone. Call the AARP Fraud Watch Network helpline at 877-908-3360. Their trained fraud specialists can provide you with free support and guidance on what to do next. For this special report, we want to thank AARP The Magazine's Vice President and Editor-in-Chief Bob Love, Executive Editor Bill Horn, Investigative Journalist Lisa Olson, and researcher, fact-checker, Annette Deinzer. Thank you to our team of scam busters, associate producer, Annalie Embry, researcher, Sarah Binney, executive producer, Julie Getz, and our audio engineer and sound designer, Julio Gonzalez. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For AARP's The Perfect Scam, I'm Bob Sullivan. <laughs>